This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists and owners of the therapy group. We're on a mission to make therapy and therapeutic topics more relatable and accessible. So stay tuned because in order to grow yourself, you gotta know yourself. Welcome to Shrink Chicks today. We are so excited. We have Dr. Solomon, Dr. Alexandra Solomon, we're huge fans of. I've read your books. I also took a CE that I've recorded CE you did through AMFT. Oh, like I'm like last year I needed like a two extra hours. So I mean, <laughs> you just everything you do is amazing. We want to talk to you all about your amazing marriage 101 course, reimagining love. We're just so excited to have you today. Thank you for being here with Shrink Chicks. Oh, I'm so excited to be with both of you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. So, okay, so for for people that are not fangirls like ourselves, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, 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 sure. So I've been a licensed clinical psychologist for a couple of decades, and I have always had one foot in the therapy world. So I treat individuals and couples. I've had one foot in the world of academia. So I have um, trained marriage and family therapy graduate students. And I have been teaching this marriage 101 undergraduate course my whole career. And then if I had a third foot, I would have that foot in uh, the world of kind of translational work. So translating academic literature and translating clinical theory into usable tools for individuals and couples. And it has been, you know, I think I suspect that the two of you are kind of like digital natives, right? So you kind of came of age in this world where we can have podcasts and Instagram feeds and all of this, but I'm a digital immigrant. So it is fascinating to me that, you know, back in the day, I would do media work when and if a journalist was looking for a therapist to weigh in on something, but really it was a much, it was a receptive process, mm-hmm. you know, and now it's, it's production, right? And so I, it's been really fun to kind of play in this creative space about how do I stay in my integrity and build a platform mm-hmm. and kind of create content that supports everything that I have been believing and practicing for all these years. So that's, that's me, but I love all the things love. So relational self-awareness is the heart of what I do. It's all about understanding who we are in our relationship. Well, it's so true. we have a lot of um, graduate students that listen to this podcast and mm-hmm. lots of folks that are not therapists themselves, but are just interested in relational dynamics. And it is very interesting what you teach in the classroom, what you learn in grad school versus what is the content people are consuming on Instagram. And that like it's so much more nuanced right which we know from from when you're in the academic world and then we have we have these sort of what people try to do is one size fits all instagram which doesn't work very well because it's not real and so what is that like for you to have your foot in so many different doors all three of those wonderful feet you have multiple feet (laughs) on my feet and my little centipede (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's 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 two things at once it is, first of all, wonderful that that everyday people, like, like regular people, non-therapist people now use things like attachment strategies, love languages. You know, they, there's so much more kind of clinical language available to people. People have a more sophistication around describing relationship dynamics than they did 
even 10 years ago, just because of the volume of what's available. The problem is some, I, I find very often that people, not just consumers, like regular people, but also I think sometimes coaches, you know, people who are in this space, mm-hmm. you know, are, can, can be a bit, I don't know, almost like emotion. Like there's just such a responsibility to stay in your integrity and to manage complexity because the things that are catchy that you know are going to get a ton of likes are oftentimes way too watered down. And I think then are become weaponized by people mm-hmm. who can't possibly know better, who don't know better. So I think yeah. we're in a, we're in a tricky space because the thing people need to do is sit down and listen to long form content yes. like this or read a book or take a course. But what people want is a TikTok video. So I've had, I mean, this year is the <laughs> first time ever that I had students in my office hours saying, I saw on TikTok and I was like, oh, you are not sitting here in my office about to tell me something you learned from TikTok. Again, nothing against TikTok, but what could you possibly learn in 23 seconds? seconds? Yes. Yeah. yeah, And we have this conversation all the time. Okay, tell me, how are you working on it? Well, it's it's really tough. We actually had this conversation last night because we we feel that uh, technology is actually surpassing our ability to like keep up with it. And we did kind of you know get wait we're early thirties and we don't know what we're doing anymore, right? Yeah, so like, yeah. We're like wow. And there was a point when we first started, we were like, oh, we know how to do this. We know how to post quotes. Yeah. Now we're like, oh my god, we got to do videos. Yeah. And I think the conversation that we keep having is that the small, right, little clips of things that, you know, get more likes or get more views, you can't apply it, obviously, to everyone. There's so much backstory about it. Like, there's so much meat there. And you can't tailor it to each individual uniquely, but that's how consumers are taking it. And that's that's a little bit of the struggle, I think, with the Instagram therapy. And I think that it's, you know, our responsibility in a lot of ways to say, listen, this isn't therapy. This is just, you know, yeah. it's, it's knowledge you're learning, you know, because it's really helpful to provide a platform for people who maybe don't have access to therapy. A hundred percent. But but we 100 percent agree. We have this conversation mm-hmm. all the time about how difficult it is yeah. to really put the meat in it, which is why I think, you know, for for both of us that like doing a podcast can also be really important, providing right. that longer form content. Yeah. yeah. Having a conversation over 40 minutes compared to 25 seconds on a TikTok. I think I don't know. I think it's gonna be a little different. It's gonna be a little different. <laughs> and, you know, Jennifer, to your point, I do. I mean, I am here for micro dose reminders, like little like yeah, micro gosh. resets, you know, which is what an Instagram post is. It's a micro reset. But I think there's a difference between people building a foundation from a set of micro posts versus like you've got a foundation because you've done some like mm-hmm. meteor work and now you use our Instagram feeds or the TikTok videos is like a little like kind of like micro reminder. I think those are yes. that's that's really Oof. different. You know? No, oh my God, that is such a good way to put it right but like what does come first but it it is it's a very interesting time I think to be a clinician and especially Mm -hmm. to be a clinician that talks about relationships because relationships are so big and we all saw it I mean I mean even over the past two years terms like narcissist and gaslighting and these things that are just they to me are very scary right and they add to like you know to continued polarization so I think it also goes into a really cool way about marriage 101 because a lot of people are getting relationship advice from 
life coaches, from Instagram posts, from different TikTokers. stuff. TikTokers. But you do something so TikTokers, TikTok therapists. But so you do the something talkers. really cool. The, the talkers. talkers. <laughs> you called? do something. I don't know. We're going to call them that. Call them I have that. no idea. <laughs> something that is really cool that we had just chatted with you about before we started recording, which is that Nikki, our producer, which has been on episodes before, all of our wonderful listeners know the amazing Nikki. Nikki did something very cool with your class, which you didn't even know about before we reached out about nope. doing a swap. And so you, ha- you have to say it from your point of view of what you do with these students, because I think it's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Oh, it's so it's so special. So we Marriage 101 is a is a class at Northwestern University. Um, I've been teaching it for 20, I don't know, 21 years. I mean, it's just wild, which means that When I first started, I was not that far off from the age of my students. And now I am not that far off from the age of my students' parents. It's just like, ah, time is just like such a wild, you know, wild thing. And so, you know, it's open to anybody. So I've got math students sitting next to psychology students, sitting next to dance students. You have to be a junior or a senior only, and you have to be lucky as hell with your permission, you know, your registration number, because the class fills up so quickly. And then we spend the entire, we spend 10 weeks just like deep diving into relational self-awareness. And we talk about sex and family of origin and a lot, you know, the heart of the work is really understanding your love template, understanding how your early experiences, your gender socialization, your cultural locations all become the pair of glasses through which you experience love, sex, and intimacy. And we get to do that like over 10 weeks and they're listening to Ted, they're watching Ted talks, they're reading bell hooks, they're reading, you know, I just like wonderful, wonderful theory and um, research and all this wisdom. So one of the projects, which is a, it's, it's a logistical nightmare, but every year I do it because it means so much. We, the students get paired up randomly with each other. So we make student pairs and then they reach into a bowl And in the bowl is a bunch of names of mentor couples who come from quite literally around the world. We had mentor couples this year from five countries and um, because everything is on Zoom, we used to have students go into couples homes, but now we recruit um, all over the place. And so we've had couples from all over the world, including Nikki and Nikki's husband. And the mentor couple volunteers an hour and a half of their time to show up on Zoom and this pair of students interviews them about their love story. And so then they are running the content they've been learning in class. They're running it now through the frame of this couple's story and they're making connections. This reminds me of what Bell Hook says. This reminds me of what Esther Perel says. This reminds me of my own life. And part of the paper has to be, you know, what Nikki and her husband's story evoked inside of them as, you know, and how it compares and contrasts to their own family system. So it's basically, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful chance to, to kind of bridge theory and practice and, and really cool things happen. I've had, you know, students who just came out recently as gay, and then they just happened to get paired with one of our queer couples. And they have a chance oh, to sit with a you know, couple wow. that's been together for 20 years, you know, it's just, it's just a lot of magic happens. And pretty special project for the mentor couples too i mean nikki said this was like the best date night i could have imagined like we had amazing conversations afterwards the students sent them this wonderful yeah 
so we didn't even tell you about this before, you know, we did our podcast swap, but like truly like what a brilliant yeah. thing oh, to see so lived experience, not just read it in a textbook. Oh my yeah. gosh. It's well, amazing. And Emily, to your point that the, the, the mentor couples love it because when does anybody ever sit there in front of you and be like, tell me about your wedding day, right? Like who knows when the last time is Nikki and her husband talked about their wedding day or told a story of how they met, right? It's really so in that way, you know, rem- we know that reminiscence is really good for couples. And so in some ways, it's, it just, it's, a, it's a total two-way street. The students benefit and the couples benefit. This year, we had a strange thing where we had just, a, we always over-recruit because we know there's attrition. And this year, we got so desperate for couples that my husband, Todd, and I were a mentor couple for one of the students, which wow. I haven't done. I mean, I haven't done it for years and years and years. And similar to Nikki, like it was so special for Todd and I to get to talk with the student. And I loved hearing Todd, you know, answer because he did, he did a lot of the questions because um, my student has heard me talk about, (laughs) you know, she's heard plenty from me. And it was really fun to listen to Todd kind of, you know, frame what he was saying through the lens of how can I support this college student with her project and it was, it was special. And Nikki, mm-hmm. Nikki said something very similar that she like listening to her husband kind of talk about their relationship in the ways that he was talking about. It was really wonderful for her. And so I think it's such a special project. And I, I just wish so badly that that was a class that I had in undergrad. because I think we got a lot of that in grad school. We always say grad school was the best, most expensive therapy that we could ever <laughs> have. Yeah. We are so excited to share our newest sponsor with you all, Hungry Root. Hungry Root is the easiest way to get fresh, high-quality groceries and simple, healthy recipes delivered to your door. The team at Hungry Root just sent me a new box full of amazing stuff. It was literally like I was opening a present going through it. Seeing what was inside and trying everything was just so thrilling. In my Hungry Root box was chicken salad, veggies, dumplings, shakes, cookies, and so much more. My favorite thing I tried was the drumroll donuts. I highly recommend them. The ordering process could not have been more simple. You take a fun, short quiz and Hungry Root will get to know your personal health goals, what you like to eat, the kitchen appliances you use, and more. Then they'll build you a personalized cart with all of your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to good use. Hungry Root will recommend recipes and groceries based on your personal tastes, but each order is fully customizable. Take their suggestions or choose anything you want. They've got fresh produce, high quality meat and seafood, pantry staples, healthy snacks, sweets, ready-to-eat meals, and much more. Hungry Root has made my daily meal prep so much easier. The mental load of grocery shopping is exhausting, and Hungry Root gives me back that mental energy. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Shrink Chicks listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash Shrink Chicks to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash Shrink Chicks. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. When bloggers or influencers post their outfit links, nine times out of 10, I click on it and immediately exit because the price is bananas. It wasn't until recently that I clicked on something expecting it to be the usual out of my price range sweater and it was under $60 at Quince. Quince has become my ultimate 
destination for luxury essentials that won't break the bank. Let me tell you about some of the gems I found at Quince. From their 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters starting at just $50 to their washable silk tops and dresses, organic cotton sweaters, and stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, Quince offers a range of high-quality items at prices that are truly within reach. And here's the best part. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Yes, you heard that right. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman, passing the savings on to us. I recently got my hands on one of their washable silk tops, and let me tell you, it has become a staple in my wardrobe. Not only is it incredibly versatile, I've worn it to work, out with friends, and even dressed it up for a date night, but the quality is unmatched. Give yourself the luxury you deserve with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash shrinkchicks to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash shrinkchicks. So did you, did the two of you go to grad school together? Yeah, we did. We, met. we did. We met in grad school. There is a lot of learning about yourself, relational yes. dynamics of your family. There's a lot of growth that happens there. And I just, Absolutely. I'm thinking about being at, in undergrad, going through that and what that must be like, like are students opening up in your classroom? Mm-hmm. Like, what is that like for them to really be processing that mm-hmm. in your class? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, for some students who are in sort of in the counseling or psychology realm, this feels very much like a cool chance for them to put into action a lot of what they've been learning. But for, I, I had a student come to my office hours. He's um, like a data science major. And he said, you know, he, um, he grew up in another country, although pe- plenty of my students who grew up in the U.S. say the same thing. He was like, I have to tell you that lecture five, when you talk to us for an hour and a half about sex, he said that was like a literal life-changing experience for me. He said, I have never, ever, like I had no sex education in the country I grew up in. I, my parents didn't talk to me about sex. He's like, everything I know about sex, I just learned from things like random things I've seen online. So to have a chance to sit for an hour and a half in a lecture hall and learn about sex from you in that way, he's like, it will, it, it will change my life forever. Like that's just so, it's just precious to me, yes. right? Like what a neat thing. And something that every... Right. I wish that all college students, because you remember, the two of you remember that college is such a, it's such a cracking open. It's such, you know, you're, for most students, they're away from their family. They're working so hard on differentiation. They want to stay deeply loyal to their roots while also needing to forge their own path. And so that's so much of what we're doing is we talk a lot about family of origin dynamics, but we are not throwing parents under the bus, right? We are saying again and again that our families raise us to the degree of their own healing, to the width of their own, you know, perspective. So it is about honoring our parents' contact, seeing our parents as our grandparents' children, as my friend Mona Fishbane always says, and then taking responsibility of like, okay, so given all that, you know, what do I want? So yes, students open up, students are working really hard. Lots of in, you know, lots of insights, lots of I, my favorite moments when students are just like, wow, I never thought of it that way, right? That's such a cool moment when you see somebody, you see the light bulb going off. Like, I never thought of it that way. So the interesting thing is, right? So Jen, we've had this conversation many times, which is we're marriage and family therapists. We're both married, right? I was marriage and family therapist before I was married, although I was with my partner at the time. You can read all the books and you can do all the stuff and know the stuff and then you're in a marriage and wow it's hard 
right? Like even when you best prepared, I think so many, I think there's a lot of people, especially from our generation that had divorced parents. And we think, yeah. well, if we can educate ourselves enough, then my marriage is going to be great. If I have every hard conversation, then we're going to be able to figure this out and it's going to be perfect. And the reality is, is still life can happen and we can mm-hmm. prep as much as we want, but it doesn't prevent us from life and life happening and the different stuff and the changes that we evolve with over time. So with that, let's talk about hard conversations before the next step in your relationship. Mm -hmm. Because I think this is something that's really significant. And we got so many listener questions for you on this. Right. and, And I think it's a lot of people are curious. And I think there's a big there is a big fear of if I don't have these conversations, if I don't figure out if this is right, then is it going to work out for me? So how do you feel about us firing these questions at you? Fire away. I'll go. <laughs> will, you, will you help me? Can I phone yes, a friend? Of course. You can absolutely <laughs> phone a friend. Okay. So people, we really just ask them, which do you wish that someone had said to you? Some of these things that you're saying, right? Like it does remind you about the honor and privilege that we have and the power we have as clinicians to have important conversations. Because if you hadn't spent that hour talking about sex, where was that person's next sex education coming from? Right? So let's, we'll remember that today. Somebody asked about acknowledgement that it's okay if either of us change. And the thought that we're not going to change when we enter into a marriage after decades of being together. Right. That's right. There's this like old, terribly heterosexist idea that women marry hoping their men will change and men marry hoping their woman won't change. Right. So everyone is, everyone's set up for, you know, disappointment or confusion. And I think by nature of that very question, it's, it's forward looking and it's uncertain, right? It's saying like, I think that both of us probably will change over the course of this marriage, but because it's about something unknown, we can't know how we're going to change. So what's our underlying foundational principle or value? And maybe it's something like we promise, you know, we, we identify like what our relationship is founded by. And if it's founded by a willingness to be gentle with each other's evolution or a willingness to find ways to celebrate evolution. Because whatever changes we're going through, you can see that change in our partner as scary or the beginning of the end. But I suspect with just about every change, if if we hold it long enough and gently enough, we can also find like the, the shimmery, beautiful element of the change too, right? Like, yeah, you're right. You aren't the 25-year-old, highly energetic, blah, 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 that you used to be, but my God, look at you now, right? Like there's, in that change, there's loss of whatever, but I suspect that there is also like a settling into or an emergence of something else. Yeah. I think that that's, that makes so much sense. What you're saying is that like, I think that people really get stuck on like the grief because, you know, you're connected to this person who you know, and you know how they are. And as they're changing, right, having to grieve uh, the person that you once knew. And it's something that you don't necessarily have, you don't have any control over. So I think that that keeps people stuck if they're kind of holding on to this old version as opposed to saying, I need to grieve this old version and meet this new person. 
That's right. There's a beautiful thing I think about. I know Terry Real always talks about compassionate curiosity, right? And the thing um, I'm thinking about, I've been with my partner for 12 years. And last week after the shooting in Texas, we both had very different reactions. One of mine was, holy shit, I have seven clients in a row tomorrow. All are parents. How am I like thinking about how am I to get through and hold space for other people? And I was so surprised by my husband's reaction, which was so much fear, so much anxiety. Our daughter's going to school for the first time next year. Oh, baby. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so, but there was a part that I was surprised by his empathy, his fear, all these emotions, these things that it was so gorgeous. It's honestly sexy to see from him, (laughs) but wasn't his usual. And I think we don't talk about enough about how hot and cool and awesome it is to find new parts of your partner. Totally. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Which is what the compassionate curiosity mm-hmm. is because some, because, because I think there is a way that there's a default setting in our brain that change equals bad. Mm. And like you're saying, Jennifer, like change equals loss. And, and we have to, I think when we know that that's our default setting, then we can set intentions or be really conscious to look for what's yeah gorgeous and sexy and surprising in this shifting thing because because of course how he respond how your husband responded to this this latest unfortunate round of of shootings is different than how he would have responded when he was a man but not a father right so Mm -hmm. and when he was a father of a baby versus a father of a little girl who's going to assume be a school-aged kid so you have a front row seat to watching his his processing his his response also to this changing political landscape right like that's the that's one of the things somebody wrote in about is one of the uh, things they didn't talk about. And I do think that this is prevalent. What we have seen since 2016, we have couples that said politics were never an issue in our marriage. Right. right. Until, never even talked about never it. Never even talked about it. Both of us were apolitical. We thought, oh, I'm just not a political person or whatever, a bullshit white privilege thing we were probably able say. to White privilege <laughs> thing we were able to say. 100% of yes. the couples <laughs> right? were white and straight. Yes, 100%, <laughs> right, we're able to say. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> holy shit, I completely disagree with everything my partner partner saying and their family and I'm mad at them and yeah. we cannot come to terms with this and what do we do and that is something that somebody wrote in was political issues beyond the surface level yeah I know I I mean listen I this is a whole piece of work that I want to get into and I'm frankly scared to get into it because of the disgust like the sort of the risk of backlash and how vicious the backlash is but I think there are a lot of couples right now that could really use our support around political differences that are emerging in their marriages that, like you said, like lie dormant pre-2016 and are becoming, right. I mean, I think we are, I've seen this hashtag going around called big mom, big mother energy or big mama energy. Like basically this is going to be, this next election is going to be like the year of the absolutely like soul enraged moms, right? So, you know, many, many of these soul enraged moms are married to men who have you know, perhaps stayed on the sidelines, been apolitical, been sort of, you know, conservative leaning. And so what's going to happen to these marriages? And I think there's a need, I frankly think there's a need for men, male therapists, male uh, thought leaders to be supporting men around waking up and, and really like, it's a, it's a chance to step into like seeing things not from a sort of devil's advocate, abstract kind of rights perspective, but from a like in the trenches, like deep, you know, deeply embodied ache, you know, level kind of a thing. So I think there is a, 
I mean, the way I think this has to go is for the one who's been on the sidelines, the ones whose uterus isn't affected for them to really like, just be like, okay, empathy, empathy. Like if I was my wife, how might I be feeling, right? If I were to see this from a lens that is not my own lens, that's, I think, how this is going to have to go. Because I think to ask women, you know, vulva-bodied people, uterus-bodied people to kind of like quiet down or not overreact is not going to go no. well. <laughs> what do you, yeah, but what do you all think? How are you, how are you working on this these days or thinking about it these days? I, I think it is such an interesting parts. Um, and one of the things that we have found, especially with putting ourselves out there in social media, is that we believe therapy is political. We believe yeah. it's our job as therapists. We were taught in graduate school, which I feel very thankful for that we went to a very progressive graduate school. We were taught that it is our job to be agents of social change. Right. If we Wonderful. are not right like that. But that's not how a lot of there is lots yeah. of MFT programs that are very conservative, pro-marriage, don't believe in divorce. Right. We're like we were very lucky to not come from that framework. But one of the interesting things we've seen is we've had people when we have put up genuine, honest things, talking about white privilege, talking about pro-choice. We've had people come into our DM saying, you're a therapist, you should be neutral. Right, stay in your and, lane. Right. And let me tell you, Jen will know, one of my favorite things to do is reply to that. Because <laughs> I... <laughs> Because if I'm putting out free content for you to consume, you don't get to tell me what I'm allowed to post on my content. And I do believe our job is to not be neutral anymore, that this is not serving anyone. And as a white, especially a white female clinician, yeah. it's my job to do something more and speak up. And I really, really do hope for a white male therapists as well. We need to hear from you more. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Join us. Right. Yeah. Get in there with us. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think that there's something to be said about men standing up for us and, and being supporting us, I think, in a lot of ways. And if they're on the sidelines and, you know, in their relationships, right, and you have this soul-enraged mother and you're bringing them into therapy with, a, you know, a female therapist who's saying kind of the same thing and then they go farther into their their sidelines right that they yeah. are further unable to step up and support us i think that there is something to be said about you know male therapists really being there i it makes me think of in some ways it's um you know how we love to talk about things that are isomorphic i think it's isomorphic <laughs> to something that we often you know in a couple dynamic i know with my heterosexual couples i'm very often my the work is helping the male partner increase their capacity to stay near her strong mm. emotions right to have to have to resist the urge to ask her to stop crying to resist the urge to tell her to calm down and that work is about helping him just create more kind of container inside of him to stay near strong emotions so it's almost like isomorphic to this to the political right so now her her anger isn't anger at him. Her sadness isn't hurt feelings about him. It's righteous anger. Right. But I suspect it, it, it may feel to him very similar to every other time she's emotional, right. which is his urge is to kind of tense up, shut down because he hasn't been supported in developing his own capacity for his own emotions. Right. So we can mm -hmm. see how he comes by this diminished capacity, like really, really honestly, because we don't support boys and men you know, oh, gosh, understanding no. their own emotions, much less somebody else's emotions. So I suspect that that's, you know, it's another yeah. layer of that. So can it be male therapists also kind of right, supporting men around 
yeah, tapping into their own kind of outrage, their own desire for it to be different and empathy for an experience that maybe just, maybe the experience can't hit as deep for a man as a woman. We're being super binary right now, I know. Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feet is flooded with customize this and personalize that, all promising to fix my fine lines and thinning hair, but when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. Your formula couldn't exist without you. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals. They get personal. Pros covers everything from your concerns to your age, exercise, and stress levels in order to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They asked me about my hair loss being genetic in my family, how long it takes for my hair to get oily after a wash, what products and tools I use to style my hair, and even my zip code to understand how the water hardness, UV index, and cold dry winter in Philly might be impacting me. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing pre-mixed, nothing off the shelf. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed my hair is so much softer, shinier, and fuller. I keep getting asked if I got a blowout from the salon. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party double-bind dermatologist-supervised clinical controlled study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash shrinkchicks for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash shrink chicks. Say goodbye to the cheap razor era, my friends. It's time to treat your body to the premium shave it deserves with Athena Club. Em and I just got back from an amazing trip to the Caribbean to celebrate our 10-year anniversary of our practice, the therapy group. And in haste of packing, because yours truly is a packing procrastinator, I forgot my Athena Club razor at home and had to resort to using a subpar flimsy razor that left my skin feeling anything but smooth, a mistake I will never make again. The Athena Club hype is real. The shave is seriously the smoothest I've ever experienced, and that is especially evident after having to use another razor in its absence. Aside from the amazing smoothest, let me tell you why Athena Club's razor kit is a must-have in your self-care routine. First off, can we talk about the price? At just $10, it's an absolute steal. But don't let the price fool you. This razor packs a serious punch. It comes with a beautifully made ergonomic handle and two super sharp razor heads that deliver an incredibly smooth shave every time. Plus, with the included magnetic hook, storage is a breeze. No more dealing with gooby blades or unexpected midnight shower crashing sound surprises. And the quality of the shave is top notch. Those five precision engineered blades glide effortlessly, leaving you a silky smooth skin every time. Plus, the water activated serum and built-in skin guards ensure a comfortable irritation free shave. Are you ready to upgrade your shaving experience? Switch to the best razor on the market and show your skin you care with Athena Club. Head over to athenaclub.com to try their award winning razor and body products and get 20% off your first purchase with code shrinkchicks at checkout. You can also find Athena Club razors at your local Target store. Trust me, you won't look back. Happy shaving. 
So let's say right now I have a listener who's not a therapist yeah. who is interested in relational growth and they're saying, holy shit, this is me and my partner. And I am a cisgendered woman and I happen to be um, in a heterosexual relationship with a cishet man. And this is one of the things that's coming up. It's caused a massive divide, not just about the political issues, but then it's gone into equity of power within the home and who's doing housework and who's doing parenting and all the other deeper levels it starts to go into that affects us day to day. What would you say to them? Because they said, well, crap, I didn't have this this conversation beforehand. It didn't come up. I didn't realize. And I'm here. I'm and in now it. I'm here. I'm in it. I got <laughs> babies. Here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here. I got two kids with them. What? A mortgage. Share <laughs> finances. Mortgage? Yes. Right. What the heck do I do now? Great. Thanks. Thanks, ladies. I could have right. talked about this before. What now? The what now is, I mean, really the what now is how do we support him getting curious to take even the littlest bite of his own exploration that he does kind of in his own time apart from her like what might he be able to listen to what might he be willing to read because I don't want her to become I mean I guess I guess if what he said is I don't understand anything you're talking about teach me then then that then we'll I think we'll take that right Right. then she would then she would be like okay let's watch this let's listen to this um, I think that, but I, I ultimately love the idea of him working with other men on this stuff, um, like finding community among, among other men around this work. But if he's saying, I don't, like, I don't understand why politics, why my politics has anything to do with how you feel about me. Right. Cause that's, that's, so it's like, yeah. we can't even, we can't even get up late. Then I think it would be like, can, what might she ask him to, to read or listen to, you know? then, okay, so if, you, if it's hard for you to understand, then let's figure out kind of how you might resource yourself because I, I clearly am having a hard time explaining it to you. Mm-hmm. So how, who else might be able to teach you? Would you listen to something by Ibram X. Kendi? Would you listen to something by Robin D'Angelo? Like, are there, who might be the teachers? Would you listen to um, Glennon Doyle and her crew did a beautiful episode about gun policy mm-hmm. um, with Shannon Watts, where they just, it was a really potent conversation yeah. looking at the intersection of kind of Christian nationalism, gun policy, Fox News, you know, this whole, and it got into trans rights, like how kind of gender stuff, how it all fits together. So something like that, like, would he at least listen to it? Because we know, we know that if she says, this is a problem for me, right? It's a problem for me that you are not in the ring. And, and if he says, you know, he shrugs his shoulder, that will erode marital quality, right? The strongest marriages are the ones where when one person says it's a problem for me, the other person says, okay, I'm with you. I'm listening. And I will try to understand, right? That's Gottman research 101 right, right mm-hmm. there. If it's a problem for one partner, then if you want a happy marriage or a strong marriage or a viable marriage, the other person needs to say, okay, I wish it wasn't a problem for you, but given that it is, I will, I will be with you in this. Yeah. I love that. And I think couples get so stuck in, I wish this wasn't a problem for you. Yes, sure. And that's, and that probably comes from a genuine place inside of him because Mm -hmm. for a long time, it wasn't an issue for a long time. He didn't see her crying in front of the TV or, you know, calling her Congress member, you know, and maybe she can acknowledge you're right that it must be confusing for you. It really must be because when we started this marriage, I wasn't particularly 
political. I really was benefiting from a lot of privilege and not looking at a lot of the stuff. So right. I get my love, but this is in some ways you are married to a different woman. Yeah. Well, and I think when we have people that, right, I met my partner in college. Do you want to know what I cared about? Was like, how am I? <laughs> it wasn't this. <laughs> Right. What I cared about was like, is there a party? Like, did we, you know, sure, could somebody buy us alcohol? Right. I mean, it was just, it was a completely different experience. And so this goes with, can I accept change? Can uh, I grow yeah. with my partner together? Right. Goes back, right? Goes back what, to our earlier conversation. That's right. It, yeah, does. it, really, it really does. does. It all connects. Right. And, and, imagine if we didn't change, right. right? You met your partner at 18 and you guys, the, the two of you just stayed at that emotional level for the rest of time. You really want to be able yeah. to change. That's right. That's right. I, I like what we're asking about is also to simply listen. I think sometimes when we're saying, can I read this article? We're trying to have these tough conversations. People will be like, well, here's my, here's my opinion on it, right? Like, here's my response to each thing Glennon Doyle says. But actually what we're saying is, can you listen for 30 minutes, right? Like, as opposed to always having a response to uh. something. I like that you, you know, talked to, like, I feel like you said that. And I, I think that there is a caveat of like, what is listening? When we're asking somebody to listen, we're not asking them to also then come back with all the things I disagreed with that they yes. said. What's the stuff you also heard? I love that because we, we want a conversation between intimate partners to be a really different conversation than what they would see if they turned on the news, right? We want it to not, or even what, what they would hear at a Thanksgiving, you know, dinner conversation. We want an in, a conversation between intimate partners to be intimate. Mm. And so, and so can, right. Could that male partner who's struggling, could he drop any expectation that he has to explain, rationalize, defend, counterpoint, devil's advocate, any of it? Could he just show up to be present to his wife's pain, rage, outrage, sorrow. I really love that, Emily. That's a really interesting point. Could he just just listen to yes. the pain rather than the policy or the politic? Yeah. Uh, and you know what's interesting is like the conversations that are being modeled, the ones on TV, the ones at Thanksgiving are the arguments, right? They are talking about policy. And so if, you know, I'm thinking about the student in your class who came back and said, I never had a conversation about sex. Like this was the first time I, the only thing I learned about it was like on the internet. It's in a similar way. The only way that we're learning to have conversations about it are not intimate. They're not ways of listening to each other and saying, what's your experience in this? They're not being yeah. modeled for us. Yeah. I was just going to say, I like that Jen was like, we're going to fire these at you. We've just spent 20 minutes dissecting two questions. Talking about what? Uh, which is... <laughs> oh, yeah. No, we're not firing. No, no. That's, we're gone with that. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I think it's very funny. They're right, right? Out the window. <laughs> well, that's adjustment though, right? I mean, what happens when the plan of your marriage goes out, right? What happens <laughs> Beautiful when all of a sudden... Beautiful segue. I mean, truly, what happens when all of a sudden you thought, oh, we're going to have kids and now we're doing, yeah, you know, five IVF. rounds of IVF, right? Mm -hmm. What happens when we're thinking, oh, I'm going to send my kid to school next year and I can't wait to send that, take a picture on the first day, but yeah. actually I can't stop thinking about what's yeah. their what's their gun control policy here? How, how do they take care of visitors? What's the safety thing, right? Yeah. How do we adjust and can our partner adjust with us and mm -hmm. how do we bring them along on the journey right instead of as, as opposed to being like oh well you know heterosexual men fuck them there's there's no point 
wait a second. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, no, we got to bring them all up here. Right. Well, especially because, I mean, I think that's the power of, of a marriage is that, I mean, that is the thing I have. And I mean, I've sat with hundreds and hundreds of husbands, you know, most of the couples I've treated in my career have been heterosexual couples. And I know, I mean, I can like flash on 10 images right now of how he looks at how she looks at him, how Mm. profoundly he organizes his entire sense of self and worth and value around the look on his wife's face. Wow. I don't want, I don't want a single wife in America or anywhere in the world to underestimate her power and, and to figure out, okay, how do I like, like merge, alchemize my power and my love into a way that I can speak to this man in a way that nobody else on this entire earth can speak to him, Mm. right? She can reach him in a way that nobody else can reach him. So, and she's got to quiet down the rage enough to be a compassionate communicator and to pull for his compassion. Like, I know what a good man you are. I know where your heart lives. I know you can listen to me. I know you can, you know, I think that's, that's some really cool potential. Ooh, that packed a punch. I don't know. That might be the tidbit you put on Instagram. That yeah, was that. No, that was, damn. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I am going to be paying close attention to my facial expressions yeah. from now on in oh, my yeah. relationship. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm just going to give like the death stare <laughs> if I don't like something. He'll be like, oh, I am not. I am not. Nothing in my life is I'm married. not even here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see how many we can get over. Okay. So somebody asked about, I, we never talked about having kids. Oh, yeah. And I think the interesting part is I think now a lot more people have these conversations. Jen, I believe with your husband, you guys had on the first date. I think you had. Yeah, third date. Third Third date. date. I I looked at I looked at children and said, how do you feel about kids? And he was like, they're okay." And I was like, you know, I'm not really into them. And he said, oh, my God, thank God. Same. Oh. So and that was when you decided to both be trans. And I was like, right? wow, this really worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, nice. So I think that's in, the, in this day and age, now I think that conversation happens a lot more, but somebody who got married 10 years ago, they never had the conversation. What would you say to them? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think I, w- I would love, if, I, if we were talking to the person, I would want to understand what kept them from bringing it up. Like, I think so often we get scared, you know, I think especially for those of us who grow up as girls and women, we are so quick to self-abandon for fear of driving somebody away, for fear of seeming like we're too much, for fear of, and so, and that's just like, it's a heartbreaker, right? So she, I'm going to get to say that she's a she, you know, she looks back now at the 10 year ago self and is like, what the hell? Why didn't you ask that? And so can she have compassion for the self she was 10 years ago yeah. that didn't feel authorized to speak truth, to clarify boundaries, you know, and can she grieve that? And then I guess deal you know reckon with what it means now the the idea of of the fact that we are kind of taught to kind of self-abandon and then we look back and say oh well you know I abandoned myself then that making the choice to say well I no longer want to do that I think is so powerful Mm -hmm. to be able to go back and say listen I I did that then and have that compassion for yourself because I think it's so easy in those moments to be like well I did this I'm just going to keep abandoning myself like this is my fault I made my bed 
Right. I made exactly. My bed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So ha- I love that having compassion for yourself that at the time that, you know, that's what we're socialized to do, mm-hmm. I think, in a lot of ways. And so I love that. And I think it's so important to be able to to keep yourself from abandoning yourself. Yeah over and over and over again. And I would want that person to just start the conversation there to say, babe, I'm aware of something. There was something that we didn't talk about 10 years ago and we can't go back, but here's what I, here's the truth I'm stepping into. Here's what I'm realizing. And just only have that much of the conversation figured out because they don't know where the conversation will go. And if the, if the opener is, is that gentle and that genuine, then who knows where it will go? Maybe it will go towards having a baby, adopting a baby, da, 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 da. or maybe it will go towards letting go that we will be child-free, but you will volunteer, you know, at a preschool or like, the, here's how we're going to bring little people into our lives. Like you have no, no idea what will happen next. But I think sometimes we feel like we, we can't bring up a conversation unless we can see the entire trajectory of the conversation. And we get ourselves into so much trouble mapping out. If I say this, they'll say this. And if they say this and you know, no, just start with a really gentle and genuine opening. And then you have no idea where it will go because this person doesn't know where their partner is at or how the partner would respond. Make sure I, we really gentle and uh, genuine, I think really needs to be said again about yes. that, uh, that conversation startup. <laughs> yes. Cause you know what I was going to say is that I think, I think too, if, if you're so used to self-abandoning, right, you've been holding this conversation in for a really long time. Sometimes it gets to the point where instead of you gently bringing it up in like a very conscious way that it comes out in like an argument or like a fight or an explosion. Well, you're right. You're right. You're right. I gave up my look, look at all I've done for you. Right. Builds uh-huh. resi- right. Resentment uh-huh. has built at that point. So I yeah. think that that's it's so important to be very aware of that so that you're able to bring it up gently and that you're not doing it in a time where you're arguing or there's resentment that has built up. That's for sure. Jen, yeah. That's a really good point, because that's that is the risk that it'll come out. It'll come out sideways. We're talking about, you know whatever, a vacation plan. And because I've been biting my tongue for so long, it comes up in the context of the vacation plan. And then you're like, wait, I thought we were talking about vacation planning. Now you're talking about kids. Like what the hell is going on? Right. Yeah. 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 Well, we can talk to you all day, but we have to do, we do a play game on the show that we have to play with you. It's called calling bullshit, where we ask every guest to call some bullshit, a myth about their field and their expertise. So would you call some BS for us here today? There's plenty, I'm sure. There's so much. I mean, okay, here's one. I call bullshit on the idea that you can know the entirety of someone's soul by knowing their attachment style. Oh, thank God you said that. Oh, my gosh. That is good. Say more. Can you say more about that? (laughs) Speak to that a little more for our listeners. First of all, we ought to be calling them attachment strategies rather than attachment styles, right? Because attachment styles suggest that we each have like a sticker on our forehead that is who we are versus a set of behaviors that describes what we do, which is what the field of attachment research um, wants us to do anyways, right? They were never meant to be attachment styles like capital T truths. They were meant to be attachment strategies. And you, if you tell me your quote attachment style, you haven't told me a ton about who you are, right? It has to really get broken down from there. And I think it can be a really interesting opener. I tend towards 
avoidance strategies, which means that, da, 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 da. But, it, but it's not, it's a beginning point, not a destination. So I don't love the idea of I keep dating avoidance or I, you know, as somebody who's anxious, here's what I need in a relationship. I think it becomes an interesting beginning point, but I think that we have, we have, we've asked one category to do a whole lot of work and it, um, I don't think it serves us particularly well. That was a good Ooh, one. Love that was that. a good one for on the spot. I'm very impressed with that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it was a hard, you know, I knew going into this conversation that we were going to do this and I actually hadn't landed because I had so many things yeah, like popping I'm around sure. in my head and I was I'm like, sure. all right, I'm just going to do this one. That's well, such a good one. I think also because as we talk about Instagram therapy, attachment styles have gotten, I think attachment styles and love language have both like become like these identifiers. Sure. People put them in their hinge profile. I mean, <laughs> and- <laughs> There's other things about you too. Do you like to watch television? I mean, I don't that's know. Right. Like, that's right. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And yep. we are, that's why from three people who live and breathe this stuff, it is not everything. Right. Right. Who deep, I mean, I deeply am invested in understanding yes. how the past affects us. And that is ultimately what attachment literature is about, is understanding yeah. how the past comes with us. So I'm here for that. I just want us to bring nuance and thoughtfulness and possibility to those conversations mm. what else what else do other what people what if people called bullshit on called bs on um in other episodes of your show oh there's Mark. a million a million things mm-hmm. i know i have to try to think of someone from my head really fast nikki's on here's the, the thing and also yeah. we also you know we do our episodes and then completely forget everything we talk about so <laughs> That's what i don't know if you i don't no. know if you have that experience on your podcast where you just talk and then you're just like what we just talk about? I think recently every we had time. a great episode on diet culture about that health and weight have absolutely oh, nothing to do. Sure. Oh, yeah, great bullshit That's about good. health and weight have every nothing to do with each other. We had another really good uh, calling BS. Uh, somebody did where he said to do this work, you have to be fully happy all the time. Like we're so spiritual and perfect. Oh, um, oh, Emily, oh uh, Nikki, Nikki you wrote don't have something. To, you don't have to stay in the career you started, and that was a really good calling bullshit. Yes. Right. That's a good yes. One. Yeah. Mm. So we've had so many good ones, but I like I like this game. It's because, wonderful. Oh, I love good one. it. Right. Because there's a this, bunch of bullshit out so there. So much. There is so much, and part of what our job is to do is to quiet that out and to listen. Yeah. Right. To listen to ourselves, to listen to those around us. And I know that there is so much noise right now. But if mm-hmm. you take anything from this episode, do you listen to yourself? Do you listen to your partner? Yeah. And what yeah. do you do with it? That's right. Oh. That's right. It was amazing to have you this on today. This was, was wonderful. Amazing. How can people find you listening to your amazing podcast? Uh, they probably become um, now every person's going to want to become a couples mentor. Just, you know, that listen okay. to this. So will you tell yeah. folks how to find you? I love that. You just made spring of 2023 a whole lot easier <laughs> for me. My recruiting is done. Um, well, first of all, it was so fun to be with both of you. You have such wonderful energy. And I'm so excited to um, like now that our paths have crossed. Yes. We can- Keep in touch and keep yes. celebrating and cheering for each other. So it's Absolutely. wonderful. The best way to get to know my work is just to start at the website, dralexandrasolomon.com. And when you get there, you will see social media handles. And we've got, you know, a robust blog and books you can buy and e-courses you can take and a podcast you can listen to that the two of you are going to be on very soon. Those are, yeah, there's lots of stuff going on in my, in my ecosystem and lots of ways to learn from me and connect with me. Okay, wait. And I just had this flashback. I had the first time I ever heard your name and saw your work was 
2018 at the Psychotherapy Networker, and one of your your book was on a table yeah. in a room. And I think that you might have spoken there. Were yeah. you, did you speak there that year? I speak there every yes. year. It's my favorite conference. The be- I love it. I just went this year. It's incredible. Yeah. Oh, so and I think it. that was the first time I picked your book up and I said, who was this amazing woman? And I can't believe that I had the pleasure to finally meet you even digitally today. <laughs> Thank you for being here. We cannot wait to talk with you more. If you enjoyed this episode today, we always ask you to rate, review, subscribe. Give us a five stars. Come on. Um, you could follow an Apple podcast. Also rate, review now on Spotify. We always ask you to check us out on YouTube. Hey, we are happy that you're here. If you like the episode, send it to a friend. Let's keep this work going together. We have the power to change this world. Thank you for being here. And we'll see you next week on Shrink Chicks.